there's something in us as human beings, something in us that captivates us when it comes to revenge. Something in us that when we are wronged, when someone opposes us, when some injustice is done to us, that we want to get even. We want to get back at the person who's wronged us. We want to stoop down to their level and make them feel the way we feel. If you look at the stories that we have told throughout our culture and throughout generations, so many of them are centered on this idea of revenge. From novels to plays to movies. Think for a second about The Godfather, Romeo and Juliet, The Count of Monte Cristo. So many of these stories that are centered on the idea of revenge. And there's something in us, if we're honest, something that's sin stained, that almost celebrates when the hero exacts revenge on the person who did them wrong. And what we need to wrestle with this morning, all of us, is why that is. What is it in us that wants to get even, that wants to fight back? You see, because I think deep down, revenge is really about our pride. Because when someone does us wrong, when someone harms us or wounds us, it damages our pride. It's humiliating. And we seek revenge because we want them to be humiliated too. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us that revenge is not the gospel. It's not the way of Jesus. Instead, Jesus shows us that when we experience opposition, when we experience someone who would do us wrong, when we experience harm, when someone would defraud us, when someone would come up against us, Jesus says, embrace it. Embrace humiliation. Why? Because in our humiliation, we see the glory of the kingdom of God. And so the words of Jesus come to us this morning and they are challenging. I'm gonna be honest with you, you're not gonna like a lot of this sermon. I didn't like studying for it. A lot of times people ask, why do you wear these robes? We wear these robes actually as a reminder that we are clothed, not in our own holiness as pastors, but only the righteousness of Christ. And to remind you, don't look at us, look at Jesus. And today I can tell you, that is what I want you to see. I'm in many ways preaching to myself as I'm preaching to you. Because these are not my words. These are Jesus' words for us. And I want you to listen to what he says. Matthew 5, verse 38, I want you to look with me. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. As we've seen in these last several weeks, we're in a part, a section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is comparing the way that the Pharisees taught the law 
to what life should look like in the kingdom of God. And so he's saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So here Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is known as the lex talionis, or often known as the law of retaliation. It comes from the Old Testament law in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Exodus 21, 23 says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And to our modern ears, some of this might seem barbaric to you. You hear this, you think, okay, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that saying like, look, if someone like wounds your eye, you need to poke them back in the eye? If someone, you know, rips out your tooth, you need to rip their tooth out back? Like, what, what, what is this about? And actually, Lex Talionis was, was put into place not to encourage revenge, but to curb against it. To push against the kind of vendettas that might happen, that when somebody harms you, you would try to one-up them and do them more harm. The idea here is that the punishment must fit the crime. And throughout centuries, many governments and societies have made laws based on lex talionis. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The punishment must fit the crime. And many of these laws are just and good. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not interested in the laws of human society. He's interested in a different kind of law altogether. He's interested in the laws of the kingdom of God. So I want you to listen to what Jesus says next. You have heard it said, Jesus says. You have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But notice what he says. But I say to you, verse 39, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. You've heard it said the punishment must fit the crime, but I'm telling you, do not resist the one who is evil. What does that mean? Well, the word do not resist, that phrase, that idea, literally means don't oppose. Don't push back, don't answer in kind. In other words, when someone does evil against you, Jesus is telling us, don't stoop down to their level. Don't fight evil with evil, but instead embrace humiliation. Because when you are brought low, you will begin to see something of the glory of the kingdom of God. And what I want you to see this morning is much of what Jesus is about to show us makes no sense to us. In fact, it is so countercultural so counterintuitive, so contrary to the way that you and I might normally respond to opposition and harm, that Jesus gives four examples. And in these examples, we find phrases that we now use today in everyday language. You've likely heard these phrases, whether you've grown up in church or not. They have endured over the years because they are so mysterious to us and because they are so challenging. And so Jesus gives us four examples of what it might look like for us to resist the one who would do evil 
and to embrace humiliation so we might see the glory of the kingdom of God. The first is this. Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. I want you to look with me again at verse 39. Look towards the end. This is what Jesus says. He says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This is where we get the well-known phrase, turn the other cheek. But what does it actually mean? What is Jesus saying here? Is he saying, look, if someone hits you in the face, like step into the punch, lean in, actually say, hey, look, you missed. Let me give you a better aim. Like what's what's Jesus actually saying? Well, to be slapped in the face in those days as well as ours is really more about being insulted than it is about physical violence. We use that kind of language even today. It's a slap in the face, right? It's an idea, a euphemism that talks about being insulted. And so in many ways, actually what Jesus is asking us to do is even harder. He's saying, look, if someone insults you, do not insult them back. And this morning, All of us need to wrestle with Jesus' words. Because I want you to think about the last time that you were insulted, either through words or actions. The last time someone humiliated you. What did you feel? What did you do? (laughs) What did you want to do? You see, we don't like being humiliated. We don't like it when our pride is wounded. And when someone else humiliates us, we want revenge. We want to get even. We want them to be humiliated too. And it goes back to all of our stories as children. We come by it honest. We come by it by the fall. So children, I want you to think about your summers. I want you to think about the amount of time you spent with your siblings. And I want you to be honest. You don't have to say it out loud. But did you ever say anything unkind to your siblings? Did you ever say anything insulting? When you did, what did they say back? When you felt insulted and you felt they were being unkind to you, what did you do in return? Maybe on some long car ride, perhaps. On the way to Colorado and back or some other cooler place other than Texas. Right? All of us can imagine what that's like. We're with you, children, because even as adults, we do the same thing. When we are insulted, there is a sinful part of us that wants to insult right back, and not just in kind. We don't just want to get even. We want to put that person in their place because we want revenge. And here Jesus is saying, look, someone slaps you in the face. If someone insults you, Don't insult them back. Why? Why would Jesus ask us to do such a thing? Because when Jesus was insulted, he didn't insult us back. Apostle Peter put it this way. Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This morning, our confession of faith was based on Isaiah 53, 
where Jesus is known as the man of sorrows, the one who was despised and rejected, the one who was insulted for our sake, even though it was us who insulted him. Jesus embraced the humiliation of the cross for you and me, and it makes no sense. Yet that is exactly what Jesus is calling us to. He gives us a second example. The second example is found in verse 40. If someone takes your tunic, Jesus says, let him have your cloak as well. Now, I I know that probably very few of you are walking around Dallas in tunics and cloaks. So let me put this into modern Western language. Jesus says, if someone would sue you and take your shirt, go ahead and give them your coat. This is where we get the phrase, the shirt right off your back. The idea is, look, if someone would sue you and literally take the shirt off your back, don't stop there. Go ahead and give them your coat. And here Jesus is actually referring to, again, the Old Testament law. In Exodus 22, 26, we're told that if you ever take a neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? Here's the idea. The idea is that, look, if if you are sued by somebody else and you have nothing to give other than the very clothes on your back, and you have to give up your clothes, your shirt, and your coat, Old Testament law said, look, at the end of the day, you at least get your coat back. And that might seem odd to you, but in in those days, your coat was not just your most prized piece of clothing, it was your most prized possession. It was that thing that kept you warm in the cold desert night. And even in the Old Testament law, it recognized, look, even if you've been sued for everything and someone has taken everything from you, they've got to at least give your coat back. How else are you going to sleep at night? But notice what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, if someone comes up to you and they would defraud you and sue you to the point where you have lost the very shirt on your back, go ahead and just give them your coat. And you think, well, why on earth would we do that? What what value is there in that? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem just. Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. One of the greatest examples I could think of of this comes from Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. And if you've ever read the novel or at least seen the movies or the play, you know how the story begins where a criminal named Jean Valjean is released from prison. He's trying to find a place to sleep for the night, and he comes to a bishop, a priest. And the priest takes him in and gives him shelter. And so Jean Valjean takes the opportunity at midnight to steal all of the silver and leave. And he's immediately captured. The police catch him. They bring him back to the priest, and they say, hey, is this your silver? And in this moment, the priest doesn't say, well, yes, it is. Arrest him and take him away at once. He says, well, of course it is. But you've also forgotten the candlesticks as well. 
when he was defrauded, when he was wrong, when he was robbed, he actually offered more to Jean Valjean. And if you know the story, that act haunted him. It stayed with him. It didn't make sense to be shown that kind of grace. Friends, this is what Jesus has done for us. When we defrauded him, when we wronged him, he did not just stop at getting even with us, but he gave us everything in return. The third example that Jesus gives us He calls us to go the extra mile. Look with me at verse 41. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And again, this is a well-known phrase, a phrase that perhaps you've heard or even used before. Let's go the extra mile. Have you heard that before? This is where it comes from. But what does it mean? Well, see, in those days in the Roman Empire, if you're living under Roman oppression, a Roman soldier could stop you on the street and ask you to carry their load for up to one mile. So I want you to put yourself in their shoes because the the first hearers of the Sermon on the Mount, as they heard Jesus' words, not only had they probably watched this happen, it probably happened to them. Imagine what it would be like to be going about your own business and your own schedule and your own affairs and a Roman soldier comes up to you and says, stop what you're doing, take my load and carry it with me for a mile. And you know you have to because that is what Roman law says you have to do. How do you respond to that? As a Jew, Somebody who's part of the nation of Israel that you are now, you're not really a Roman citizen, you're under Roman occupation. And a Roman soldier comes up to you and says, hey, you need to do my work for a mile. How should you respond? This is what Jesus says. Don't just say yes. Offer to go a second mile. Don't just go along with it, but say, what else can I do for you today? (laughs) Can you imagine that? Why on earth would Jesus ask us to do such a thing? Could it be that with all of these, we must see that there is a sovereign God behind our humiliations in life? That whether you are insulted, whether you are wronged, or whether you are subject to a government or law or rule, that you don't agree with, whatever it is that is humiliating you, perhaps it is for your good and for the good of the whole world. Because when we are humbled, we see the fullness of the glory of the cross. Apostle Peter knew this all too well. Again, in 1 Peter, his letter 1 Peter 2, verse 13, he put it this way. He said, be subject to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. In other words, Peter's saying, recognize that it is God who has set up the governments and institutions around you. 
And so as Christians, we must be subject to them because we are subject to God. And he learned this firsthand. If you know the story of Jesus and the story of his arrest, you know that it was Peter. Before he denied him three times, it was Peter who went to his defense. It was Peter who fought back. It was Peter when he saw Jesus being insulted and being wronged, drew the sword to make sure that nothing would happen to his friend. The Gospel of John tells us the story, John 18, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? I want you to notice what Jesus says to Peter. Not just put your sword away, but why? because Jesus has come for a very specific mission and it's going to require Roman occupation. It's going to necessitate the Roman empire and their laws and their unjust ways. The cross does not exist without Rome, it doesn't exist. And the most evil, the most vile, the most unjust death that has ever happened through the means of the most horrific way to put someone to death, a crucifixion God used for the glory of salvation for you and me. And it makes no sense. It didn't make sense to Peter. You see, you and I are just like Peter. I mean, if you were there and you had a sword, don't you think you'd fight back? course you would. And yet Jesus says, put your sword away. Put your sword away because God has called me to embrace the humiliation of the cross. He's called me to endure insult and harm and injury and beatings. He called Jesus to be humiliated on the cross for the glory of our salvation. And so the fourth and final example that Jesus gives us in some ways doesn't belong with the others. And as we, we hear it, it doesn't belong because it doesn't really describe others doing harm to us. It doesn't describe people humiliating us. No, instead, what Jesus is wanting us to do, what he's speaking to is how we treat others who've already been humiliated how we are to treat others who experience humiliation every single day. Look with me, verse 42. Jesus says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Friends, what I want you to see is that showing generosity to others requires humility because true generosity cannot come from a place of superiority that says, I'm better than you, and so out of my superiority and abundance, I will give. True generosity says, recognize your own humility because before the Lord, we are no different. Every one of us are beggars. And so as one beggar giving to another, give generously 
Jesus says. But you can only do that if you have been humbled to. With each one of these examples, Jesus challenges us. Because our natural inclination is always to fight back, always to get revenge, always to answer insult with insult, to try to hold on and grasp to whatever possessions that we have, even when they're taken from us, to resist those who oppress us. And yet in each case, Jesus says, embrace humiliation. Embrace being made low. Why? Because to a lost and dying world, it makes no sense. The Apostle Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross of Christ makes no sense. To a lost and dying world, it seems foolish that a man would die naked on a cross for those who put him there. And yet that is what Jesus has done for you and me. And now he is calling us to follow in his steps of humiliation and to take up our own cross so that we might be a mystery and a witness to the wonder of the cross in a lost and dying world. But you see, in our world, it doesn't make sense. No, in our world, you get even. In our world, you take revenge out on those who wrong you. And perhaps for you this morning, that's how you think about our world, and maybe it's how you think about God. And perhaps you grew up in a home or in a Christian culture or even in a church that taught you that God is out to get you. That he hates you and he wants revenge because you are a sinner. Walt Whitman put it this way. He said, God is a mean-spirited, pugnacious bully bent on revenge against his children for failing to live up to his impossible standards. And if that's how you think of God this morning, I want you to know that the reason he is calling us as his church to embrace humiliation is to show the world that God is the exact opposite of that. Because our God, out of his own justice and mercy, did not take out revenge on us, but instead he poured out his vengeance on his own son. Jesus Christ, who when he was insulted, did not insult back, but endured the shame. Jesus Christ, who when his garments were taken from him and there were lots cast over them, did not try to get them back, but he hung humiliated, stripped naked on a cross. Jesus Christ, who endured the oppression of Rome by being crucified on a cross for our salvation. Jesus Christ, who gave generously of his very life to beggars like you and me. Why has he called us not to resist the one who is evil? 
because Jesus Christ didn't resist the one who is evil, but instead entrusted himself to his father. And he laid his life down for you and me so that all who trust in his name would be saved. Friends, brothers and sisters, these are hard words for us this morning. But they're words though they are mysterious to us, are foolishness to a lost and dying world. But as we strive as God's people to follow Jesus to the cross, we show the world the wonder and mystery and the glory of the cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these words are indeed impossible for us this morning. And if we're honest, we fail at all of these things every single day. And so we pray this morning that you would put us in a place of humility and dependence. And we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would stir the gospel in us once again. That we would not be shamed by your example, Jesus, but instead that we might be empowered by it. So that in us and through us as your church, we might embody the mystery and glory of the cross. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.